Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, Jesus drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to Jesus, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I used the phrase last week in my sermon, upset the apple cart, in reference to all Jesus was about to say and everything Jesus was about to do that would get him crucified and killed by the powers and by the principalities of his day. And today we get the evidence of that in what has been euphemistically called Jesus' cleansing of the temple. Sounds kind. Nice, tidy, the cleansing of the temple. More so than it actually was, I believe. This morning, we're reminded that Jesus wasn't all talk as we hear about his most well-known public display of protest and disruption and righteous anger, flipping tables, brandishing whips, and making harsh proclamations, bold, brave promises about his own destruction. The backstory of Jesus' protest in the temple is that the celebration of Passover was right around the corner, so Jews from all over were traveling to Jerusalem like Jesus had to celebrate this holiday. Since animal sacrifice was such a crucial part of Jewish worship, and since it was really difficult to travel with animals, those who came from out in the countryside into the big city had to buy the animals they were expected to use for sacrifice and worship once they got into Jerusalem. It was difficult to get all your luggage and all the kids and your cattle, sheep, and doves into a first-century minivan. So some like to point out that there's all kind of reason to believe the merchants in the temple were ripping off those who came to buy their animals because it's believed that they made people use special currency, that they exchanged all of that unfairly, and that the animals were probably being sold for huge amounts of money way above market value. Can you remember the last time you went to a baseball game and bought a beer? Or the last time you went to Disney World and bought an ice cream sandwich? You know that sort of thing is easy to imagine. Still, it's likely that none of this is really 
the main thing that got Jesus so fired up so as to protest that day in the temple. It's not nearly that complicated, actually. Jesus was protesting the very nature and the very practice of animal sacrifice in the first place, plain and simple. Jesus was protesting the Jewish understanding that these practices of sacrifice, all this keeping with the old ways, minding the old laws, wasn't the way to worship any longer. He was saying, he was proclaiming, he was promising a new way that the kingdom of God had showed up in something different, in Jesus himself for a change, and that the Son of God was what worship was all about all of a sudden. Cattle, sheep, and doves weren't necessary. and wouldn't cut it any longer as far as sacrifices were concerned. The short of the long is, is that Jesus is turning over tables, brandishing a whip, and screaming at the top of his lungs, trying to make the point that God's people needed to change the way they were doing things. Change the way they were worshiping. Change their focus on what matters in life as followers of the Most High God. Does any of this ring a bell? Has any of this hit home yet? as we gather in person in our proverbial temple for the first time in almost exactly one year? Has any of this hit home yet, as those of you out there live-streaming our online worship in your kitchens on your couches holding your coffee? As we reflect on this last year, together separately, as we've been saying all along, as a worshiping community, I wonder, can we imagine that the ranting and the raving and the righteous anger of Jesus in the temple might have something to say to us as God's people still, not just at Cross of Grace, but as God's church of believers all over the world, too? I don't believe God in Jesus upset the apple cart of our life together as a worshiping community by way of this pandemic. But I do believe God wouldn't mind if we learned a thing or two about the power and the purpose and the practice of our life together because of what we've been trying to figure out since late last March and for the sake of whatever we have to learn going forward. What I mean is, I wonder how much we are being called to prepare ourselves for things to be different going forward, and how and why we might be able to do that most faithfully. I know that those of us here wish we didn't have to make reservations online, for goodness sake. Wish we didn't have to limit our numbers. Wish we could sing out loud. Wish we could share communion the old-fashioned way with actual bread and real wine. Those of us online, as comfortable and cozy as you might be, miss the power of being in our sacred space, miss the presence of our partners in mission, miss the sights and the sounds and the smells and the spirit of gathering like we always have and like we so love to do.
I personally loathe the notion that ever since November, I haven't been able to see who's worshiping with us on the other side of that camera that's now mounted on the back of our sanctuary wall. And I find it equally frustrating that I can't see the faces and the frowns and the smiles of those of you who are here because they are hidden behind these friggin' masks. And I know there are Christians all over the place, and I imagine some in our own fellowship, who are as frustrated and even as angry as Jesus was in the temple that day. You wouldn't believe the stories Pastor Aaron and I hear from other pastors who have to deal with some real knuckleheads in their congregation. Ugly things are happening in God's church about the way worship has been upset over the course of the last year. But I think we get frustrated, and I think we get angry about it, pastors like myself included, when we forget that as much as we love it, and as good as we are at it, worship isn't the only or even the most important thing about following Jesus. Worship is not the only or even the most important thing about following Jesus. That's been a thing to learn over the course of the last year. If we're not loving each other, if we're not forgiving our enemies, if we're not giving our money, if we're not serving the world around us and more, none of what we do on Sunday morning, in person or online, means much. God told a prophet once that he hates our solemn assemblies if they're not accompanied by the work of justice. Hates our solemn assemblies if they are not doing justice. So I think as we reflect on the last year and even as we begin to see the proverbial light at the end of this pandemic tunnel, we are hearing a call from Jesus today to shift our perspective some, to change our focus a bit, to wonder just what will be different for God's people going forward as we worship, as we learn, as we serve the God who has sustained us so faithfully until now. And I always try to begin with gratitude. And I'm grateful that Cross of Gracers have been patient and kind and gracious about understanding that we have tried to be safe and faithful in all of this. And that loving our neighbors and caring for the most vulnerable among us has been the impetus behind all of it. Our outdoor worship, our wearing masks, this physical distancing, the other decisions we've had to make about communion and singing and all the rest. I'm grateful that because of all the technology we've acquired or learned to use so differently this past year, that we have connected and we've reconnected with handfuls of people online who would otherwise be strangers to the ministry of grace and good news that we have to share in this place. I'm not sure we'll ever do another wedding or funeral that doesn't allow family and friends and loved ones from around the country, around the world even, to be part of it online like we've been doing 
the past 12 months. And of course, I'm grateful for the science and for the vaccine and for all the learning we've done this past year, which makes our gathering safer and possible and ever more likely as we keep moving forward with all of it. See, we have a beautiful place to call home at Cross of Grace. We've tried to refer to our temple as a center for mission since the day we first broke ground to build it. It is home for us. And it is a beautiful, safe refuge of a place in a million different ways. But we worship first and foremost, and we are grounded by first and foremost, and we are gifted with grace first and foremost, and always, thanks to the temple that is Jesus Christ, the one who teaches and the one who calls us to love our enemies, to forgive one another to such an extent that we sacrifice some things every once in a while to make room for him in our lives and for the sake of the world. We don't sacrifice cattle, sheep, and doves anymore, thanks be to God. But we have been, and we will continue to be called to sacrifice what is comfortable for us so that others will be safe. I have some ideas about that, where our food pantry ministry is concerned, actually. And it's going to take more than just donations and contributions on our part going forward. We have been, and we will continue to be called to sacrifice what is familiar as we navigate some new territory where our life together is concerned. I have some ideas about that, which will expand even our small groups and our Bible studies into online platforms and digital platforms and practices, even once we're able to host them back together again in person. And mostly, hopefully, we have been and will continue to be called to sacrifice our limited human expectations of what God can do through us in spite of our hardships and in favor of a bigger, broader, better, more faithful vision of what God's church might look like in the future. God's vision has always been bigger and better and more faithful than what I can see or predict or plan for. So I confess, I'm not sure what all of this could mean just yet, or exactly how we might be called to different ways of being God's church in the world. But we will do it well, and we will do it faithfully, and we will do it in service of God's kingdom only when we remember to do it with gratitude. First and foremost, for the sacrifice made by God in Jesus Christ, who was destroyed and raised again for our sake. And we will do it faithfully. And we will do it gratefully. And we will do it in service of God's kingdom when our lives as individuals and as a community of faith reflect that kind of selfless generosity always, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. Amen.